Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. What does it mean when a company's share price falls to cheap prices and executive insiders don't buy more? My question is, how much of your portfolio should you put into like ETFs and mutual funds? I had a question about Dutch Bros. It's going to be a new IPO. And provides unbiased answers. I think the bet on the raw materials that go into electric cars are going to be far better than the electric car producers. Invest Talk across America and around the world. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, January 24th, 2022 edition of Invest Talk. I appreciate you all tuning in this hour. Interesting start to the week in the markets and some uh, big turnaround, uh, a lot of telltale signs. I saw a lot of news articles and and. YouTube videos and, and, and social media chatter about the plunge in the market. And you always know when media outlets that don't usually talk about the market are talking about it, that's kind of a heads up that things are, are about to turn a bit. Uh, and you saw that late in the day. Uh, we had a lot of indicators uh, you know, a KPP that showed this morning, there was a lot of kind of capitulation, a lot of volume in the market, and sentiment just got really, really poor over the weekend, along with the crypto crash that just kind of continues. And you saw a big turnaround. And these big turnarounds, fast, sharp rallies are very common, very common in the in, in bear markets. Uh, and we are certainly in a bear market for parts of the market. Remember, it's a market of stocks, not a stock market. So over any given year period, there are multiple sectors that are positive, even if the vast majority might be negative and the broad indices might be negative. Doesn't mean that there aren't opportunities. So did you find any opportunities or did you panic? Were, did you get caught up in the selling and the emotions? Or were you finding opportunity? Could you control your emotions? Was the volatility within your portfolio comfortable for you? Or did it make you a little queasy? So we're going to talk about that on today's show. Try to guide you through your the investment landscape and your portfolio. And I'm here ready to answer your questions. And I'm going to operate with my mission statement, which is always independent thinking and shared success, which means I'm going to give you the facts as I see them in front of me with 20 plus years of investment experience. So no matter what I'm talking about, I'm here to give it to you all without bias. 
Okay, so I'm ready to answer your questions. I encourage you to interact with me right now live during our 4 to 5 Pacific Time live stream broadcast. Or if you're listening after hours, no big deal. You can call, leave a message, and we'll answer your question on a future show. Either way, that number is always 888-99-CHART. So let's get right to our first listener question now. It's Mark in New Jersey looking at CTVA. Do you own it, Mark, or are you thinking of buying it? Hello, Justin. I am looking to buy this. I see it checks a lot of boxes that I hear you and your team describe. So I'm just wondering your analysis, if it, there's anything to be excited about this at this current valuation. Okay, this is Corteva. This is $33 billion market cap. So definitely a large cap company. So it's to make $2.59 this year, up from $2.13 last year, up 22%, yields one percent two percent that's uh that's that's solid where did you find this name what got you interested just just kind of doing screens exactly yeah whittling through on you know finviz through commodity sectors and low valuation and looking for the i guess little chart reading seeing that dip today and then the strength at the very end if that matches what you're talking about well, it definitely had a, a a comeback, just like most of the market, right? And technically, it hit the 200-day moving average, kind of sliced through that like it did in late December, and, and rebounded. And so uh, technically, I think this is solid. It had a, a move up in November, and it's really been consolidating that move in, in a wide range between about 45 and 49, but definitely some nice consolidation there. Trailing 12-month free cash flow, about $1.9 billion, which on a $33 billion market cap, that's not amazing, but that's pretty good. Uh, you know, It's positive, uh, which is uh, more than you could say for a, a lot of companies in today's market that most people are interested in. Their return equity trailing 12 months is about 7%, which isn't fantastic, but up off of negative in 2018 and 19. So my biggest concern here is that it just simply doesn't have a long history of, uh, of producing consistent profits and cash flow. This it, is kind of a, a near-term uh, winner. Now, what they do is they uh, they provide agricultural products and supplies uh, in the corn, soybean, and sunflower market. So it's in the agricultural space. I like that. So uh, I'm, I'm a fan of where it's at overall. And this is formed as a merger between DuPont uh, and uh, some of their other uh, divisions. So it was kind of a spinoff from, from DuPont. I'm, I'm going to give this a thumbs up. About half its revenue comes from North America, the rest overseas. So it, it's kind of, uh, it's a global player, diversified from uh, that, that, that standpoint. Uh, and I like the chart and I like where it's at. So I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this question. Options versus stocks, which is better for you? Now, stocks and options are closely related because options are linked to stocks. They're a derivative of stock prices. But they're very different things, especially when it comes to how much you can make or lose and what is appropriate for your particular level of risk. So we're going to dig into that story. There's probably a lot of new investors getting uh, interested in, in in investing and a lot of people are cha- like the chase returns they want those big returns and options are often a source potentially for that but they're also a source more often for big losses if you don't know what you're doing so we're going to dig into that story and kind of break all that down i also want to touch on 
clean energy stocks and whether or not they're uh, good investments right now and what are some of what's the financial crisis observatory saying about those type of stocks and where have we seen this story play out before in the past also in conjunction with that sustainable investing what that craze looks like and does it really have an impact we're going to look at that and then lastly u.s over foreign stocks u.s stocks have done well for a long period of time a lot of that has to do with the strength in in tech in the United States and our markets, as opposed to not a lot of growth, not a lot of growth sectors uh, abroad. And so a lot of money has flown, has been flying to America because of that. But will that streak continue, especially with growth stocks starting to wane? We're going to look at that story as well. So that's what's on my mind. But ultimately, I want to know what is on your mind. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Let's look at the market. We are, uh, The SP was up 12 points, really bounced off major, major support. Really the consolidation period over the springtime, April, May, June. And we broke out of it in July and, and onto new highs and higher highs. And we've re- now retested those springtime prices on the S&P and the NASDAQ, that actually had the strongest comeback, up 86 points, up about half a percent on the day. And I said this before, the strongest, quickest rallies come in a bear market. You saw this earlier in the year when you had the reversal. What day was that? That was the 10th. Yeah, the 10th of January, just a couple of weeks ago. You had the market open, down, and at one point was down over two and a half percent, but closed positive. And I, I, I pulled up a stat. I don't have it in front of me right now. Uh, if I find my phone somewhere, I, I could tell you. But uh, it, it was similar to over the last about 20 years between uh, now and 2000, I believe it was four or maybe it was three, that there were just a handful of days like that where you were down on the NASDAQ over two and a half percent, but closed positive. But during the 2000-2003 period, there was something like 40 or 50 times when that happened. And this goes to show you that this is the type of market, the type of days that you should expect. Strong, short-covering rallies. Think of this morning. Bloodbath, a lot of red, after a big red week uh, like last week. And there's a lot of people who kind of chase, they chase the short trade. And as soon as you get enough people on board, that's when it sparks a reverse rally. And that's kind of what you saw today, short short covering rally, and nothing is more powerful than a nice, solid short covering rally. So does this mean we are going to get a bounce post FOMC? Remember, this is Fed week. This is Fed week. And surely they're paying attention to the markets. And you're starting to see a little bit of stress in the credit markets dramatic but certainly over the past three trading days the small cash sorry the junk bonds were doing a lot worse than treasuries and you hadn't seen that until the last few days of trading and so it's nothing major but definitely something the market or the the fed is going to be keeping an eye on and could possibly allow them to be a bit more dovish 
when it comes to their path towards policy tightening. And that's what I think you're going to see here uh, when they announce on Thursday. Remember, the, the, the Fed meeting is on Thursday this week, and that could also continue to spark at least a relief rally. Doesn't mean that we're headed to new highs soon, because I do think we eventually go lower in the broad indices. But there's still opportunity. There's a lot of opportunity in today's market where some of the, the sectors that are still in an uptrend, you know, tech and growth, they're in a downtrend. But there's still some sectors like energy that are in an uptrend. And this gives you opportunity to get in. So if you are positioned correctly, you can actually take advantage of this market in a big, big way. Now we're moving into a quick break. After today's market ride, you may have questions. So give Invest Talk a call at 888 chart Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are ready to answer your finance and investment questions. Call Invest Talk 888-99 chart. Hello, Steve and Justin. I'm calling in to get your opinion on the stock TJX Corporation. The symbol is TJX. Wanted to looking to see what would be a good entry point and what the outlook is for the company. Thanks for your show, and I'll be listening for the answer. All right, this is TJX. They operate 4,500 off-price apparel and home goods stores. Large company, $82 billion market cap, and they've certainly been one of the dominant players in this, uh, this kind of, not secondhand, but in the markdown goods. I guess you could call it off price is what you is what it's called in the industry and they know how to profit from it. If you look at their profitability, their cash flows, their return on equity, very very strong return on equity over the last decade averaged right around 50%, very high. So, very good company, very strong company. Free cash flow trailing 12 months about 1.4 billion, but if you normalize that, it's probably closer to uh, 3 billion to be honest with you. And you're talking about $82 billion market cap. So uh, it's not cheap, not cheap. Trading enterprise value to EBITDA right around 16. And historically, that's, let's take a look here. That's about average. Yeah, kind of trades in the in the mid-teens. In fact, I would actually say it's more like low teens. Um, and so at 16.5, it's a bit rich. It's consolidating here. And it looks fine. It's definitely on this dip down from 76 to the high, the mid 60s, mid to high 60s now. Definitely a better buying opportunity. This is more of a long term play. I, I would put this name kind of in a drawer and just let it go because it's going to continue to produce cash flow and buy back, uh, buy back shares. Yeah, buy back shares, uh, pay a consistent dividend, and earn high returns on invested capital. So, definitely a name everybody should have in their watch list. Not exciting, but Strong, consistent profitability, and I like that. Now we're taking a quick break now. Jay from Kansas, hang on. You will be next on Invest Talk at 888 chart
Invest Talk is here to help. And when you download the free Invest Talk podcasts, don't forget to rate and review. The phone lines are open 888 99Chart. Let's go to Jay in Kansas. He wants to talk about investing. A long time uh, listener. Um, I heard a, a, a pitch, if you will, from a, a reputable source uh, for high net worth individuals. Uh, and, and the pitch was for Alrock Income Corp and Blackstone Private REIT. Uh, their private REITs, uh, B-R-E-I-T, is, is, I think it's like the dot com through uh, Blackstone. And, and the big pitch was that for high net worth individuals that you, that the, if you invest in these REITs, essentially, uh, they're less volatile and the return should be higher. And to me, that just sounds too good to be true. Uh, just kind of your thoughts on that. I, I know that you guys in your, you know, normal practice work with some high net worth individuals and, and it is obviously everyone's different, but, but just your take on, on REITs and is that just a big sales pitch or is there some validity to those uh, if you fall into that category? Uh, I'll listen uh, off the air and thanks for taking the question. Okay, great question. Well, the, the simple answer is it's definitely a sales pitch. And private REITs have a long history of uh, being, can be very good, uh, but also can be very bad. Uh, the less volatile nature of them is because there's no standard exchange like a normal REIT. You go buy a REIT in uh, on the public exchanges and you're going to get day-to-day pricing and certainly can be affected by market volatility, interest rates, etc. Whereas these private REITs, they're going to give you the price on a monthly basis whenever you get your statement. But oftentimes those prices are manipulated in some way, especially because when you go to sell them, which is hard to sell, that's another problem is illiquidity. When you go to sell them, I've seen many times, a lot of clients, they bring over their assets, they have a few private REITs they want to get rid of. It's a pain in the giant you-know-what to get rid of these things if you do want to sell them. So they're extremely illiquid. Even though they'll tell you, oh, you can sell every six months or three months or whatever, the process is very difficult. They make you jump through a million hoops. Okay, and you don't want to have to deal with that. But then also, the what, what you'll get is often much less than what they've been stating to you uh, in in the uh, on the statements uh, for various reasons. And so, don't I don't think these are better performing. I really don't. Now they they take that day to day volatility out, so maybe you hold longer because you are not uh, potentially panicking out. So you. It may actually be a good thing from a psychological standpoint, but that doesn't mean that they're better. Uh, there's a lot of fantastic, great REITs that are operating in the public markets today, and the private REITs don't have a special sauce. Really, they don't. Uh, they're, 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 are they smarter than the public managers of the public REITs? I, I, don't, I don't think they really are. Uh, and so there's, there's really no reason to get into these private REITs because you're, you're unlikely to get better performing uh, performance than you will in the public markets. And you sacrifice liquidity, transparency, et cetera. And uh, just not something that I would get excited about. But thanks for the call and great question. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline, options versus stocks. 
which is better for you. And I know we have a lot of new listeners over the past few years that are roped into the markets for big returns. They're, they're, they're hoping for huge returns and options have the potential for that. High risk, but high reward as well. But that's also subjective. What's high? Is a 10% volatility in a year high or is 30% or is 50%? For everybody, it's a little bit different. So you want to make sure that you, when you're investing in stocks, options, bonds, ETFs, mutual funds, whatever it is, that you are comfortable with the level of volatility that will typically come from that. Now, what's the difference between stocks and, and bonds? Well, stocks we know are, are ownership in a business. And they trade in exchange. There's an indefinite life. As long as the company stays afloat and meets the requirements to stay in the exchange, it remains remains publicly traded, unless it's bought out or, or, or gone private, something like that. Now, obviously, it can vary over time. Performance varies. And there's potential for the company to go bankrupt. So that's the downside. Now, options. Options are linked to a stock. And there are two aspects to that option. One is the strike price and then the specific length of time. Options expire. All options expire at some point, sometimes many years out. But they do, uh, they do expire at some time. Now, there are call options, right to buy, put options, right to sell. And we can get into the complexities of that. But let's get the advantages of stocks and bonds. Both can deliver high returns, but options can give you very, very high returns in short periods of time. Why? Because of leverage. You can have small sums of money and multiply that many times over in a short period of time. The problem is, is that, that, that and that's usually with buying options of some type. And the problem is vast majority of options expire worthless, meaning by the time the expiration date comes, they're not what is called in the money, it means they're worthless, okay? Now there's a lot of different strategies you can, de you can deploy, you can create more income with, a, uh, with options, you can hedge yourself with options, you can buy stocks lower by selling a cash secured put, things like that. But understand that unless you really know what you're doing, you can get in big, big trouble with options. So be careful with them unless you absolutely know what you're doing. We're heading into a break. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Hi, I had a question about T-Row, T-R-O-W. I have a very small position. And today on January 12th, it went down another 6.5%. And the reason may be I'm seeing that Citigroup recently downgraded the price target to about 159. It's currently trading around 181. I was wondering if you agree with that downgrade or what you think the proper valuation is of T. Rowe Price. Their earnings look good. Their projected earnings look pretty good. 
it looks like the number of shares outstanding has been reduced over the past couple of years. Their PE seems to be reasonable in light of their historical PE. So I'm just wondering why is it that it's been going down for the last couple of months? And if you advise uh, selling or holding at this point or buying some more shares, I appreciate your answer. All right. Well, first off, don't listen to some analysts giving some price target because most of the time those analysts are simply using some multiple that they're they're pulling out of uh, other companies that are trading at similar multiples and maybe changes to its earnings uh, overall might be interesting. But don't ever think that an analyst price target is something that you should hold as gospel. Interesting, maybe but definitely not something you should ever act upon in and of itself. Now, T. Rowe Price, this is one of the largest asset managers in the world. It has a bunch of no-load U.S. international stock, hybrid bond, and money market funds. At the end of October of last year, it managed about $1.7 trillion across equity, balance, fixed income offerings. And what's interesting is the vast majority of their of their funds are held within retirement accounts, 401ks. So their business is a bit stickier. Now, the reason it's been going down is simple. Markets are going down. It holds, remember, 61% of its of, of, of its assets are held in equity. 29% balance, which you call it 50-50. So roughly 75% of their assets are held in equity. So if equities fall, they make a percentage of the assets under management. So that's what it's going to be correlated to the market. Okay, so you should expect that. Now, this is more of a high beta way to play the equity markets. In fact, it's beta is 1.4, meaning it's about it's about 40 times more volatile than the overall market. Now, 40 sounds big, but it's not really that big, 1.4. So if the market drops 1%, it's probably going to drop 1.4. If the market rallies 1%, it's going to typically rally 1.4%. That's how you look at beta. Okay. Now, return on equity is, is strong, 31%, trailing 12 months. And over the long term, its return on equity is in the mid-20% range. Very good. So I like this name. It's been buying back shares. Uh, it's, yeah, I mean, this is, once again, a play on the market. So if the markets, if you go into a broader bear market, uh, certainly this is going to suffer more. So because I do think the indices are, are going to go lower, uh, this could be not the best time to buy right now. But from a value perspective, I do think it's a good value. And I do think there's a shift, going to be a shift at some point, and maybe this is the catalyst, this this current market that we're going through, for a shift out of index funds into more active funds, which T. Rowe Price is going to be uh, more of a player in. So definitely a name that's on my watch list, strong, consistent profitability. And if we get a choppier, more uh, uncertain market, I think that T. Rowe is going to gain market share. And so... If I'm talking about from a long-term perspective, I think this is a good uh, good ad. Could it go lower this year? Certainly, if the market does. All right. Thanks for the call. Great question. Now, let's pivot over to green energy stocks. And this is coming out of the Financial Crisis Observatory. And they track 
Uh, this is a Swiss Federal Institute of Technology. It's from the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Zurich. And they declared that we're in a green energy bubble. And they predicted Tesla shares would decline uh, from November. And they're down 20%. And they also saw similar bubble with sustainable investments like solar, wind, batteries back in 2010. And that was in the industry, they call it climate 1.0. And this is when, remember Solyndra and A123, A123 went public in 2009, went over up over 50% in the first uh, day of trading, raised about $380 million, and it was bankrupt within three years. Solyndra never went public, just went bankrupt. And so... With all of the rhetoric around ESG and uh, climate change, there's a new push of investment. And when people hear the narrative, they want to be part of that. They want to try to make money on it. Uh, but what you've seen here is that the prices have far exceeded the, the fundamentals, the amount of green initiatives that have been deployed, green projects that have been deployed, and the profitability of those projects. Now, CEO of BlackRock, Larry Fink, he thinks that there's a giant shift in strategy or, or uh, push towards decarbonization. And sustainable investments have reached $4 trillion in total. And last year at the Glasgow Climate Summit, most of the world's banks combined $130 trillion in assets signed on an effort to lower emissions through their lending. Sustainable investing funds got a, got a ton of money. And the issue, though, is that, once again, running well past fundamentals have not caught up to the prices. And you're starting to see, just look at like the TAN ETF, which is the solar ETF, that's plumbing to new lows. Now, got a little bit rebound today. But the more speculative clean tech companies have been beaten up in a big, big way. QuantumScape down 90%, Fisker down over 50%. And... Uh, just saying that there's a long way to go. We ju we're just popping this bubble. Remember, the this is the popping of Tech Bubble 2.0. Tech Bubble 1.0 went from March of 2000 until the fall of 2003. So you're talking about three and a half years of downtrend. And they didn't start to outperform for another seven years. So 2007, that's when really tech started to get off the ground in a big, big way, especially compared to value. So... This is early, the early innings of this trend, uh, and you're going to find some opportunities, but it's probably not going to be when people are talking about it very much. All right. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for the courtesy by getting to the questions quickly. Let's go to Jeff in Alabama. Says, I would like to get your anal analysis of mutual fund Fidelity Select Medical Technology and Devices, FSMEX, FSMEX. It was M? Yeah, M-E-X. So let's see. And the correct percentage of person's overall portfolio allocated for traditional Roth. Well, what you're looking at is a sector. So when you're looking at funds in general, a broad index fund or just a broad asset, large cap value, mid cap growth, et cetera, those tend to be broadly diversified along different, uh, different sectors. And you can have a larger percentage of your portfolio in that because it's instantly diversified among dozens and dozens of stocks and uh, a dozen different sectors. 
And you can have 15, 20% of your portfolio in that one particular fund. Now, when you start to shrink it down to more specialized sectors, or this is even a subsector, this is the healthcare, but it's the medical tech and devices sector, uh, then you're going to want that to be lower, probably closer to 5% of your overall portfolio max. Now, this is a large cap growth in general. That's where it's kind of sitting. And that makes me not excited about the name. So uh, I think this is uh, a bit overhyped, this area of the medical space and just medical in general. There's a lot of hype, especially with biotechs, et cetera. The PE on average of these companies, 35. The category is only 17. The SP is 18. So I'm not a fan of this. Let's go to APAGJE says, I currently have a very small position in AMRX. AMRX. I was wondering if this was worth a hold for the long term or if this is something that I should hold for a short term and flip. Pharmaceuticals, develop generic and branded pharmaceuticals focusing on controlled release generics and branded drugs. Slow growth company. Hmm. This is an interesting one. Its chart is terrible. So that makes me start off with saying no. It's below all the major moving averages. Now it's it, it did have a rally in late December when the market was selling off. So it kind of outperformed the short term. So this is more, yeah, short term. I think there could be some upside, but I'm going to pass on that overall. So no on AMRX as well. And then lastly, let's, uh, yeah, I think that's it. Let's fit another caller question from 888 chart Yeah, this is Nathan from Texas, and I'm calling about stock later, WTRH. My question on this stock is, I guess from a long-term perspective, does this company have a chance of being successful as a food delivery service? Curious to see where they're going to go. I know there's been some big investors that have gone in and out of the stock, and it's in the trough right now, probably in danger of being delisted. I don't know that. I'm just curious if this long term, if this looks like a good investment, this business model looks good, or if this is a failed experiment. I'll wait for your answer. Uh, Waiter Holdings, yeah, this is a company that started to do well during the pandemic, started to make profits, and now they're not. Uh, and that's the issue, and they've been issuing more and more shares, and so I would I would pass. It's a, It was an interesting story for a little while, but uh, it's a competitive space, and they haven't executed well. And they continue to just issue more shares, so this is not a name I would get excited about. I would pass on it. Let's make it two in a row at 888-99-CHART. Hi there, Justin and Steve. Hey, I just want to ask a question about like dollar cost averaging. So I got like 20 different stocks and I'm trying to figure out how to, you know, buy several different stocks with just a limited amount of like regular input. So I'm putting like $75 in every two weeks and uh, I'm just not sure how to equally divide that. Should I put in like $10 in each one or just buy one share and and wait two weeks and then buy another share or something else. So, yeah, I just wanted to see what you thought about that. All right, thank you very much. Bye-bye. Well, nowadays when commissions are nothing, I would, and you're trying to stay diversified, then I would spread that out. 
maybe it's uh, and, and try to keep that an equal dollar amount. Hopefully you have 25, 35 different names good to try to keep a, a good, good mix, all the different sectors as well. You want exposure to all the different sectors in some way, shape or form, and then target a particular dollar amount. Maybe that's every two weeks, maybe it's once a month. And what you could do is you could put a limit order, maybe in your support. Uh, that's one way to do it, to try to buy on the, on the dip. Or you just go in and put market orders in for a small number of shares and keep that uniform throughout. And I don't know how much money you're working with. That's a big question, a much bigger question. So uh, I, I would try to spread that out if you can and be consistent with it. Don't try to get cute with it. Develop a plan, develop a, a, a method of implementing the plan and then stick to it because that's what you're going to need to do. And, and whether the market's up or down, like it is now, you want to stay consistent. Now you might want to accelerate that uh, a bit in days like today and try to get that money in quicker. But yeah, you want to stay consistent with investing on a monthly basis. Now let's go ahead and tackle one more iTunes review question. Zach 101011 says, I currently have US Bank in my Roth IRA, which is sitting at 6% of my portfolio. I'm looking to split the position in half and pick up another regional bank. I'm currently looking at RBB, RBB. Wondering if this would be a good regional bank to add to my portfolio. This is RBB Bank Corp, holding company for, let's see, operations, operates 25 branches across Louisiana, California, and Nevada. Interesting. Okay, small, $529 million market cap. So... Definitely a small regional bank. Technicals look completely fine. Uh, in fact, it's about where it opened on Friday. So very strong rebound there. Its cash flow is nice and positive. It's not issuing a bunch of shares. Its profitability historically has not been amazing, kind of low teens, which is solid, but it's consistent. I like that. Uh, and in, a, in a low interest rate environment. So I'm going to give this a thumbs up. I like that it has exposure to Louisiana, exposure to Nevada. Those would be gateway markets. I think I'm a fan of that. They deal in commercial construction loans, land acquisition, development loans, small business administration loans, single family residential mortgage loans. So they're your standard commercial bank, the type of companies we really like. So I'm going to give RBB a thumbs up. Now, are we going to a voice bank? Okay, actually, no, we're going to take a break. We're going to go to the voice bank after our final break. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here, which is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this break. So I want to hear what you have to say. If you're going to call, you want to do it right now at 888 chart Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck, because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Hi, Justin and Steve. It's Eric from SF. I wanted to call and get your opinion on Symbol ZIM, ZIM Integrated Shipping. It's an international company, has a fairly low PE of 2.27, looks like a five-year range between... 2.3 2.3 to 6, but the whole industry seems to trade at a fairly low PE, and the earnings does slow down this year a little bit, so I'm wondering if it's still cheap and a good company to own. 
it has a high dividend of 15%. I'm not sure if it is sustainable. The chart looks like it's in an uptrend, broke above resistance and trading above all of the moving averages. Insiders own 37%, which is, I think, pretty high. It is a pretty new company, about a year old, so past its IPO six-month period. So there is some earnings data out there. I'm having a hard time figuring out if this is actually a good stock to own, maybe for the medium term. Let me know your thoughts. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right, this is an interesting one. This is Zim Zim Integrated Shipping Services. It's an Israeli-based asset light container liner shipping uh, company provided for all types of industries. And earnings exploded during the pandemic. They were losing money in 2019. 2020, they made almost $5 a share. 2021, they're expected a full year to make almost $38 per share. And for this year, down... 31%, but still $26 per share. It's a $57 stock. So technically, they should earn their entire earnings over last year and this year, their entire market cap. The technicals look fine. Now that dividend, though, I would not expect that to be continued. I don't know if this has been a special dividend. Yeah. I wouldn't expect that 17% to continue. The question is, when you return to more normal supply chain markets, will they continue to earn that amount? Uh, I highly doubt it. Now, can they settle in at a positive in a positive territory, uh, even close to the five dollars? Maybe if, if they can earn five dollars consistently over a decade plus, I think it's worth this. But where does that stabilize? I'm, I'm not sure. It's, it's, it's very difficult. It's all going to depend on shipping rates. And so technicals are fine, making higher highs, higher lows. So I would actually give this a thumbs up because they're earning so much money and their cash flow trailing 12 months is $3.6 billion. It's only a $6.6 billion market cap. They're, they're earning all that. Uh, now, they might be paying that out in dividends, et cetera. Um, but from a momentum perspective, I think it's fine. Now, it'd be quick to pull the trigger on a sell, though, if it breaks down. Breaks below the 200-day moving average right, right now is about 46, trading at 57 today. If it breaks below that, I'm out in a heartbeat because that's the market signaling that the shipping rates are reversing in a big, big way back to normal levels. And when that's the case, the earnings for this name is going to, are going to drop dramatically. So very interesting name, still very small and benefiting from the supply chain problems. But as we know, longer term, those are going to iron out at some point. Thanks for the call. Now let's touch on ESG and the financial industry has capitalized in a big, big way, trying to make people feel good about their investments. It's really what what's happened. And there's a lot of money pouring into this space. And the big question is, is it actually going to have an impact? And so far, I would say the answer is a resounding no even with the trillions of dollars that have poured in, even with the about about over half of the world's investable assets, the managers have signed on to the United Nations Supported Principles for Responsible Investing Act. So it's basically them saying we're going to allocate our capital and our investor capital to 
work on climate change. The problem is, is that the impact has been very, very meek at best. Now they pressured companies like Exxon and others to divest from their assets. The problem is, is that someone's still buying them. And there's never been more private capital operating without public reporting standards. So all the private equity companies and just private capital are just buying up these assets on the cheap. And they're still producing fossil, you know, carbon. They're, they're still producing all the things. They're not they're shutting down businesses. In order for this to have an impact, they'd have to buy these companies and shut them down and, and shut down their assets. And that's just not happening. And so there's so much farther to go. And don't get roped into ESG being this cure-all because it's curing nothing. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. It's official. We have crossed over 38 million downloads on Friday, thanks to you. And you can get yours or your friends can get theirs for free over at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. And if you do leave a message or a question with that review, we will prioritize your answer. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.